Thank you for joining the Roche Republic podcast. In our seventh episode, your host Adrian Clay is joined by Lars Markle from Weaver and Mikko Riekinen from Roche Republic to discuss embedded finance. One of the key trends in fintech is embedded finance, the seamless integration of financial services into non-banking products. This trend is powered by a new wave of financial infrastructure providers. They are fintech companies that handle licensing and compliance and are thus able to provide plug-and-play banking products over APIs. In this episode, Adrian and Mikko dive deeper into the topic and are joined by Lars Markle, a leading expert in the field. Lars currently works at Weaver, a key provider for embedded banking in Europe. Their discussions in this episode cover the recent embedded banking market developments, the benefits new providers are offering compared to traditional banks, and how non-financial brands can get started with embedded banking from scratch. Here's Adrian Claire from Roche Republic kicking off the podcast on embedded finance. Hi, I'm Adrian, um, partner at Ross Republic, and uh, today's episode is one of the currently most hyped fintech topics, um, embedded finance as well as banking as a service, so a topic that um, really interests me a lot and that we have spoken a little bit already on the podcast. And to analyze these topics in detail, I'm joined today by um, Mikko Rikinen. He's the second host of the Ross Republic podcast, as well as a senior fintech advisor at Ross Republic. Hi, Mikko, how are you doing? Hi, I'm good. I'm good. Good to good to hear you guys. Yeah, Nikos joining from Finland, um, while Lars and I are in Berlin. Um, so that's he's our second guest today. I'm super happy to have you here today, Lars. Thanks for having me. Hi, everyone. Great. Um, so I think anyone who's actually building something new in the fintech scene in Berlin um, and beyond probably um, knows what Lars is doing and who he is. <laughs> But for everyone else, um, I would just provide a short description and um, talk a little bit about what Lars um, has been doing over the past years, because he basically has 10 plus years of um, fintech experience. Um, he works uh, in fintech since 2012 and actually joined the financial services industry already in 2006. And he's currently working with Weaver, uh, which is an embedded banking infrastructure startup. He's also an, in, um, an industry advisor at Reimagine, um, which you could maybe also quickly uh, talk about today, um, what they're doing, as well as a contributor at the German fintech newsletter, Finletter. And basically, his expertise is banking as a service, open banking, fintech APIs, and um, infrastructure topics. So exactly our, our uh, episode topic today. Great to have you on the podcast. Um, Maybe as a first introduction question, Lars, is there any fintech-related news that found that you found interesting over the last week or days? Yeah. So first of all, thanks for the way to kind introduction, and again, thanks thanks for having me. Um, yeah. Uh, recent fintech news. I mean, it has not been like this week, but I think it has been this month or last month maybe was the cancel acquisition of Plat from from Visa. Um, yeah. As you probably know, I've been working with Figo, a German open banking provider, for quite some time, and I actually joined Weaver back in uh, joined Figo, sorry, back in 2014, um, basically around the similar time, and also Plat got started. So I was following following the development for a very long time, and uh, yeah. initially I was super happy when I heard about the five billion acquisition. I'm now connected to a few people over LinkedIn and Twitter with some of the employees. So I was super happy about that, but then over the last years. The whole fintech infrastructure topic was booming up so so much, and so much attention got on, yeah. the, on the on the topic. And personally, for me, it felt like Plat was basically the start of all of it. Um, so yeah. uh, they got definitely a good deal, but uh, after the year of 2020, definitely a better deal would have been possible. So I'm guessing for them, it's uh, it's not the worst outcome that this uh, deal has been cancelled. And what um, we're hearing right now, new funding, everything in place for them, sounds like uh, yeah. even even better exit of five billion is possible for them. And it's uh, very, very exciting for the industry and um, I'm guessing for the company as well. 
Absolutely. I think it will be super interesting to see now how they scale up the company, um, even with the failed acquisition from Visa, probably they're now at a really good position to inject more capital and to yeah to really scale it across across other um, markets as well. Um, that's Indeed. yeah super interesting. Um, actually, one, one really interesting news that just came to my mind um, uh, is that the one of the co-founders of Holvi has um, acquired his startup back from BBVA. <laughs> that yeah, also that happened. Was, that was interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, that's um, yeah. I think um, interesting, interesting play. Um, usually, or what we've seen is that um, BBVA has basically closed a lot of the fintechs they have been acquiring so far. Um, so uh, I think in general, it's a very difficult topic for the banks if they should build up own ventures or if they should just invest in them or acquire or um, basically just acquire them. Um, and so far, it seems there's not a really good blueprint of how to do it successfully. It seems every big bank is a little bit struggling with it. Um, so mm -hmm. it's, it's, I think it might be an interesting example as well for other fintech founders that maybe have sold their company to a big organization. and that there's maybe another um, way out if, if it doesn't work, that you maybe acquire it back and it, you might have better chances to, to really build a great product um, if you're super independent. And um, yeah, so that it will be very interesting now to see how, how Holvi develops. <laughs> it might not be easy, but yeah, in, in, interesting interesting time for sure, right? Yeah. Exactly, and I think it's uh, like, like Artman said, that uh, uh, acquisition is really not an easy game. And I believe that uh, partnerships might actually be much better in many terms than like pure acquisition because if you if you acquire acquire the startup you don't necessarily acquire the cultural <laughs> culture to your big bank straight away so yeah but yeah interesting I think, yeah. times anyways absolutely I think that that would be a, a topic of its own for for an own episode probably <laughs> how to make exactly. how to make that work exactly. yeah um, so today um, we talk about embedded banking um, I, I think there are uh, different uh, definitions of embedded banking um, that you can find on different fintech blogs uh, so it would be really interesting to hear from you Lars first of all how you define embedded banking sure I mean as you as you pointed out there are different definitions and overall I think also embedded banking is can be quite of a very very big term and broad area so <clears throat> i think different definitions are even, even possible like for us yeah. at Revo, or generally how, how i see the the industry that describes the trend of companies that are not really from the financial service industry but that want to integrate banking capabilities in their in their own product so when we're talking about embedded banking or maybe even embedded finance that could be anything from payments to cards to accounts lending trading all these things that we usually do in a bank um, can now be a smart api provider infrastructure providers can now become available in, in in other industries and i think the trend overall is basically based on the fact that companies more and more realize that they have to be like more customer centric and build products that customers really want and don't really stay in their typical silo and area and I'm only doing these things because this was the way it was all been done but rather think like not yeah. out of the box but think what the customer wants and needs and what features are, are relevant for them absolutely I think that's um, very similar to what we have uh, defined it as well on our like on our last blog um, blog posts and so on um, that basically embedded banking um, is provided by banking as a platform players, um, which means that you offer banking capabilities end to end, as you just said, current accounts, cards, loans, payments, delivered over APIs. Um, I think the API, the underlying API, 
like infrastructure and how you approach the market through APIs is, is a really important concept here. Um, and that you offer that to third parties that might not have the financial expertise on on their own. So basically companies um, that, that just want to have a plug and play type of um, integration, which allows them to offer financial services. And I think, um, yeah, that's a really interesting topic because it's uh, some estimations have been quite high that this could be, for example, a seven trillion dollar market. <laughs> so, um, the, yeah, this is really a, a huge market opportunity. And I think from a macro perspective, if you look at, especially at the software market, there has been like a, a really interesting evolution from like the early 2000, 2000s um, with Oracle and SAP, which were on premise, um, which were all about licensing. Then that moved into subscription software as a service, as everyone knows today. Um, then there has been a huge wave of, for example, um, workplace uh, productivity tools, or for example, Dropbox is one of the best cases mm -hmm. when it comes to that. So all about viral, viral network effects, um, getting really interesting software products into the hands of uh, a certain critical mass of users that would then generate a virality and network effects like with Dropbox, for example, or what you see with other modern tools like Airtable, Slack, and so on. They all build up um, their business bottom up. And a lot of VCs are now talking about this next wave, which is driven by fintech as like an integrated value driver. And that's why I think it's super interesting to talk to you with that um, about that today, because that's that's um, that basically unlocks new verticals for for like a lot of industries, both in B2C and B2B. Um, and that's uh, yeah, what I'm really passionate about. I think that could be a really interesting discussion. So you already mentioned you're I working at Weaver. Yeah. I, yeah. I, haven't, I haven't heard the 7 trillion number yet, actually. I've, uh, so far, <laughs> the highest in my market was 3.6 trillion. So I'm excited the opportunity yeah. is not even double as big as <laughs> <more>. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's great. I think I think that 3 um, trillion number comes from the US only. Um, so I can yeah. send you some sources afterwards. But I think, um, yeah, that's... Uh, well, we will see how it plays out, but um, sure. there have been some some early signs, at least, to to where you can see that the market is moving into this direction. From you wrote already about it on your blog, for example, is Shopify a fintech player now? Um, so Shopify, yeah. the well-known online um, online shop provider, has been integrating um, accounts, cards, and loans. Even so, I think there you can see that a lot of players are really into thinking about how to monetize through new ways, and fintech can be one one way to do that. Um, and I think what's really important here is that you need new players that really offer new APIs and new infrastructure to help those companies to get there. And you mentioned you're working yeah. at Viver, which is a, a new player in the space. So that would be super interesting to hear how you approach this topic, how you maybe a little bit your, your story, um, how you what your vision is about the market, what differentiates you and how you how you approach this topic. Sure, sure. So I mean, um, as, you, as, you, as you probably know, but for the listeners, I, I joined Weaver a few months ago in, in October last year. Um, the company has been around for, I think, uh, around two years by now. Um, initially, the idea actually for Weaver started at a different company called Xaris. Um, the Weaver CEO, Alex, actually co-founded Xaris, I think, 10, 15 years ago, something like this. And Xaris is completely focused on virtual debit cards, the travel industry. And that's um, yeah, a market opportunity itself and uh, a profitable business they have built in that space. However, Alex and Adrian, the other co-founder of Weaver, had worked closely together at Xaris, and they saw the change happening in the, in the fintech and banking environment. And um, basically the whole um, yeah, 
with this whole development outside of XRS, but also what they have been developing internally, uh, led at the end of it to to what what resulted in Weaver. Um, it was an, uh, made a decision to not keep it inside the actual company, but start a new company because everything became a lot bigger and a lot more complex than, than initially thought. And um, I think uh, the concept of banking as a service, I mean, we have a few companies in that space already going on for some years. I'm pretty sure your listeners know about the concept of banking as a service. So when I'm talking about Weaver, I think there are mostly three things that I want to highlight that are maybe like a, uh, our, our focus or our, where we differentiate ourselves from, from the other players. Um, firstly, is the accessibility. Um, so we, our, our focus is really like a product-led a product product -led growth. Um, so you can go on our homepage, get access to our sandbox, go live. Pricing is our website. Everything is very transparent and, and very easy to get into, uh, which is mostly yeah. for the fact we're focusing on companies that are not really from the financial service industry. So we don't want to make it like too complex for them to explore the opportunities. So everything is basically out there. That's part number one. Um, the second part is um, we're actually partnering with banks. So the way the Weaver platform and the Weaver product is designed is we can have actually leverage licenses and other features and functionalities from banks and make them available or over our platform. Um, so this is basically for banks who want to like go into the banking as a service segment but don't want to build the whole tech themselves. They could, for example, partner with us and make their, um, their infrastructure available to, to our customers. And um, thirdly um, is the focus, uh, again, like because we're focusing on companies that are not really in the financial service space, is we have a very low code solution. I mean, it's kind of a buzzword as well, but at the end of it, yeah. the Weaver platform is uh, kind of a scripting language. I mean, we haven't spoken too much about that yet, but basically the whole heart of Weaver is a uh, scripting language that, which uh, enables our customers with relatively little effort to build everything around KYC cards and accounts and impl implement these modules into into their into their product. So overall, these are the three things that I would, I would highlight. And again, we have, have built them because we have seen the need that I've been working before joining Weaver. Actually, I've worked as a freelancer. You mentioned, you, met, you, mentioned, yeah. you mentioned who I freelanced before. I've been going through the same hoops and obstacles to find the right provider, find the right suppliers for certain things. It can be really, really cumbersome. If you're a fintech, you probably have to figure that out, and that's kind of part of your thing. If you're not a fintech, not a financial service company, it's probably not something where you want to hire a small team and pay them for six to nine months just to just to figure that out. I, I actually have a question, Lars, uh, kind of related to the partnerships. Like, where do you see these? Um... Where, where do you see this going in general? Like, what are the companies or industries that will start using embedded finance? You talked about the part, the current partners you have at the moment, like, mm -hmm. uh, and and where do you, where do you see this going? Like, who are the companies that start to embed finance to their services? Um, so I personally would see it as a way of like looking looking at it as a circle. At the center is really like core financial services banking fintech and at the moment we are moving slowly further away from the core of financial services and go into other areas that integrate um, integrate financial services i mean adrian mentioned shopify who are offering their own bank accounts their own products um, shopify is it a fintech by definition probably not but of course when looking at what shopify is doing a lot of a lot of things is related to money and um, and income and and, and costs and so on so they are definitely not like super far away from the financial core or financial service core here that I described, um, but they have some connectivity to it. So I'm guessing uh, to answer your question, it probably depends over the time frame. If you're saying like now the next couple of years, probably a lot of these things are still more like connected to 
um, to financial services, so something like accounting service providers, uh, employee benefit platforms, um, everything that have little touching points with banking, but are not really predominantly banking. Um, those be the first ones, but probably in five to ten years, it's maybe coffee chains or other kind of uh, delivery food delivery companies that uh, that embed these services as well for for various benefits. It doesn't have to be always a full-fledged current account and and debit card. Yeah. It might make sense for some for some brands, uh, but not not uh, not always for everybody. True. True. Absolutely. I think I think it's also in, um, always important to make a distinction when talking about um, embedded banking and who and about the infrastructure players that enable embedded banking. Um, since um, from from my perspective and from my experience, there are on the one hand like um, financial software platforms like. Mambu, for example, or Thought, Thought, um, Thought Machine, um, which 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 are basically also providing building blocks that allow companies to to kind of build their own banks, for example, with lending modules and account modules. But often they don't provide the licensing with that. So you would they are primarily targeted to companies that either have deep pockets, like huge huge organizations already um, mm -hmm. that that would be willing to invest in own licensing and then invest in the like quite complex set setup and running running those banking platforms um, which would then also be embedded banking but would be driven by yeah like like large organizations or companies that really have uh, banking in their main value proposition like build like a new neo bank that builds on uh, mambu for example um, whereas whereas this this what about what what I would like to focus on is really um, players like Weaver that are what you just mentioned, partnering already with license holders in the background um, to really provide this full, full-scale solutions, so that the companies that um, are, are, for example, accounting providers and software providers that have no clue about finance uh, or the financial services industry um, would would have a partner that allows them to quickly use APIs, as you just mentioned, this low, low complexity environment that really allows you to to quickly pull pull the data you need and pull the capabilities you need into your own software um, that will that will be is really interesting i think um, what you just mentioned by describing beaver that's that are actually all topics i would like to dive a little bit deeper into um, but i would mm -hmm. like to start with the end customer um, you know when we're talking about the players in this whole embedded banking fields who who benefits from it and i think by looking at at it from an end customer perspective that is really interesting um, i think you can look at it from a B2C perspective quite easily. Everyone knows Uber. Everyone knows like, you know, um, Uber, you, you, you get off the car and, and the payment is made um, automatically and so on. So that's that's already known or that you buy something online with Klarna and there's already like an almost automated buy now pay later process and so on. Um, I think in B2B, there can be also very interesting use cases. Um, are there any like insights you have on user research or anything related to how the end customers um, would benefit from embedded banking. Sure. I mean, we have at Weaver, we have actually, we have this quote where we say, don't send your customer to the bank, bring the bank yeah. to your customer. And I think um, overall, when you look at all different use cases of embedded banking, it's really the focus on customer, right? I mean, I think you described it before as well, this trend that's going on for the last couple of decades. And I think the trend we are in, or one of the trends we're in at the moment for now some years is really like focus on the problem and the needs of your customers and build solutions around them. And um, as I mentioned, also our founders have a 
uh, have a background in the travel industry. So we also use some example in the travel industry, looking, for example, at Airbnb, who has a full-fledged uh, experience from, from searching a property until booking and payment. Everything is fully integrated. And then compare that to a rather, in, let's say, more incumbent kind of provider, maybe even a booking.com, where payment is kind of part of it, but still the full checkout experience is still happening in the hotel. So overall, um, this integrating it can, can allows you to focus a lot more on the customer need. At the end of it, really focus uh, really depends also what products you're building, right? If you're more on the B2B space, then embedding uh, financial product into your service, let's say an accounting or an expense management solution, can provide more control over over expenses, more finances, um, more insights, for example, than what you would probably get if you connect to to an existing bank. Um, and other use cases yeah. could be better money better money management and, uh, and and other benefits for the for the consumer. But at the end of it, I mean, yeah. I know as well from from my personal usage. I mean. Uh, you know this feeling. You kind of do something, and then it says, "You now go to your now go to your app and send this money, or go to your app and do this and do this," which is every very very often uh, a place where consumers churn on the process uh, because either they're missing the credentials, yeah. they don't have the app, they don't can do kind of do certain things. So you, you as a service provider, definitely benefit in a better product if you embed that. Absolutely, Nico. Um, the Nordics are always know always known as super digitalized societies on the one hand and also um like that the banks are, are usually really good benchmarks in um in digitalizing uh, their business models so do are there any examples that pop up in your mind related to embedded finance are are like end users already experiencing that in, in the nordic countries i have one example in mind i would like to ask you if, if there are any um examples that would come to your mind yeah, I'm. I'm um, like I actually had a. Or I was just about to ask from last, like kind of, um, where did this all come from? Because I, uh, I do remember that banks have been like when I joined Sambo Bank back in 2008. There was, like Sambo Bank kind of offered white label services to accountants, so they could offer something to their customers. So kind of the logic itself was back then already there. But for sure, the technology wasn't even close to anything what it is nowadays. Like it was a massive infrastructure uh, challenge to build up any kind of any kind of solution there. And I think also then uh, that would mean uh, that meant back then that then the accountant would make a contract directly with the bank. And uh, if I kind of compare to the embedded finance world, like the idea. Or like the problem solved in the background is the same. The solutions are just better, <laughs> better, better, and the technology is much better. And um, like one thing, what I, um, but yeah, to answer your question, um, I think there are solutions at the moment. Um, yeah. But it's more. It is. It is not as flexible, maybe as what Lars kind of brought up now. Like it's not that you could just decide as a service provider that hey, actually, I want to expand my offering it's more like a longer term relationship and then you might have built up something together with an external provider but it's not you don't do like this one-off solutions or kind of quick tests as easily um yeah but yeah so like in i think the idea in the nordics is in use but it's made way more complicated than it could be actually now mm -hmm. with the but that's one example that yeah 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 the one example i i um i had in mind was from op um like the largest finnish bank uh, they have launched a factoring solution that basically lives inside an accounting software so you you have all all, all your 
banking data already in there and accounts payable and receivable. So, so that, that's already a really interesting real-time data um, uh, advantage that the, the software is providing and the bank can also use that for the underwriting. And then basically you, have, you can directly see based on your outstanding invoices how much you can basically get in terms of factoring or invoice-based financing. And I think that's, that's one interesting example that has a direct benefit for the end user. Um, but what Lars already told, it's, it's um, yeah, those examples are rare and, and also from a customer perspective, you have all those cool tools, for example, as an SME or as a freelancer, you know, you're using Google, um, Google Docs, you're using Slack and other tools maybe as well. And everything works well together. Um, most of the tools are already connected somehow, or you could connect them through APIs. And then at some point, you need to log into your bank account. And even if it's a fintech uh, or new bank uh, SME account, it's often not the best experience if you compare it directly to other tools that are out there. So there's always this context switching. You need to log into your bank account. Um, it's, mo it's, it's often you just get this historic list of transactions. Um, it's, it's, it's not really dynamic. It's not really forward looking um, in, for example, projecting your business cash flow or, or whatever. So the utility and the value you get from most banking apps is still very, very limited to basically checking your balances, checking your transactions and making payments. Um, whereas those capabilities could provide much more value if you had them already living inside other systems. For example, with the factoring that you that you could use other sources of data for underwriting. And I think this is this is where it comes or where it becomes really interesting because you could make even the financial products themselves much more useful and really innovate on product level on and not just on design or nice UX. So that's that's what I find really interesting. So I think from a customer perspective, um, for example, in the SME space, your Xero or your you know your accounting tool is already your your main financial interface. So you, like rarely you need to log into your bank account, maybe to to make yeah not even to make transactions and so on. So I think um, customers are getting more used to doing banking, not like in in non banking environments. So and I think this is a huge trend. And from a customer perspective, it's clear to me that. That, that there's a huge value. So um, less context switching, you, you save time, it's super convenient, and often you could get better better banking products even if, if they're provided by some other environments. Um, what do you think about traditional banks? Um, so Miko, it would be interesting to see your perspective for, on the Nordics and Lars, you know, like in Germany, the big banks like Commerzbank, Deutsche Bank, um, even the Sparkassen, the savings banks in Germany, they have built up their own API platforms. Do you see those? platforms, I mean, they're, mostly they're driven by PSD2, but do you see them even as a competitor? Could they become someday some embedded banking or open bank, like open banking, I think is part of it as well, competitor? Or do you see traditional banks as partners? Mm -hmm. so it's a good question. And I mean, obviously, I don't know the, the final answer uh, yeah. <laughs> right now. Um, as I mentioned, I've worked in open banks in the last couple of years. I've seen the development centers of banks coming up, and um, especially on the on the marketing side, everything went like very very well um, on the on the product and uh, functionality side. Maybe not so well. Uh, obviously, the focus was in the past really on the open banking piece, uh, the PSD2 requirements to make everything available over there. Um, obviously, banks now could even go a step further and do a lot of these things more. Do I believe they will actually do it? I'm not sure. There might be certain kind of features and functionalities that, that really make sense. Um, but specific, specifically looking at the German market, we have so, so many banks. So if banks offer certain APIs and certain features, 
it might make sense if I, as a, as a user, can benefit of that um, just for this bank. So, for example, just the other day, I spoke to a startup who was curious to know if, say, we are an API can open bank accounts with, uh, with, with banks in, in Germany, for example. Like, yeah, then maybe there's at one point one bank which you can do it, but you probably have to integrate that directly yourself because all the other banks are unlikely to do so, and an aggregated one will not really, not really help you. So overall, yeah. if banking banks will go completely into the embedded finance trend themselves, I'm not sure because I think one of the biggest challenges as well that they face is they're really missing the access to the to the target group for these kind of companies understand the needs and build products for them. So maybe if you will try, maybe even there is a bank who is really on a really good track, uh, might might even succeed. Um, I would be surprised if it's happening, but it might happen. Overall, as mentioned before, Weaver is also partnering with banks. So if if one of yeah. the banks want to want to explore embedded banking, they can can reach out to us as well and see um, how we can take over the tech part and the bank is doing the part which uh, they're really good at, which is the regulatory and compliance piece. And uh, one thing that came into my, yeah, one, one thing that came into my mind from the kind of if banks would jump to this business, I think there's a, a banks traditionally want to own the customers themselves, whereas I see like myself that embedded finance is is the idea that you know the like uh, the one who takes the embedded finance into their service, they own the customer. Like you know, mm. we just offer you white label services so you can you can serve the your customers and they will stay for you and uh, stay as yours, whereas banks kind of would always want to, you know, bring in their logo and kind of use it as a clear acquisition channel to do cross sales if they would do it themselves like directly. And I think that's kind of that, that will hold them back to some extent. But another thing what I wanted to ask from Lars was um, like, if you think of embedded finance and the idea of, of bringing the financial products into some other experience, how do you see the identification part of it? Like, how do you do you see any risks there? Or um, because now there has been lately a lot of discussion that you know, obviously, when you buy online, you need to identify yourself. You can't save the credit card, or you can save the credit card information into your kind of online shopping cart, but you need to do the identification and KYC and so on. How do you see that kind of? risk and uh, regulatory requirement versus smooth embedded finance uh, can those work together and, and if so how sure i mean I mean, for us at the moment um so at the moment we are really focusing entirely on bank accounts and cards that we are offering through our technology in the future we might even consider products such as lending insurances and more um, then it gets probably a little bit more not not complicated but a little bit more specific in the different areas i mean for us at the moment if a customer wants to if a customer wants to use us and offer bank account and debit cards to their own customers obviously they have to go through the typical kyc process um, which we make available through our api to actually onboard the customer in terms of um, all regulatory and compliance requirements and obviously i mean our whole team has a very very long track record and experience in the financial service industry so obviously like we are very well aware of the a situation that we have to comply with and we have to go with and it's not something that we maybe want to uh, intend to change uh, we rather look for ways how to make it as convenient as possible um, as part of the consumer journey um, when when they want to use that product but yeah obviously if if you deal with a 
with an accounting company that wants to offer maybe expense cards for the employees. Obviously, we have to onboard that corporate and have to go through a know your business process and uh, comply with all the checks around that. If it's consumer facing product, obviously, we have to do the same on an, on an individual level where we have to, we are using different KYC providers to, to actually do that. This is definitely, I mean, if you look at, for example, I mean, as I mentioned before, worked in open banking before, um, you can always look, when you build these products, you can always look at, do I want to embed this, maybe this debit card directly into as an accounting, maybe example, do I want to embed this, this debit card directly into my product or do I use existing card and just use them through, um, through a PC2 API maybe. Obviously, the, 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 the problem or the obstacle you described right now in the embedded case, I have to onboard the customer, so they have to provide some input, some information, um, which is definitely more than just logging into an existing account. So the, the hurdle is here maybe, or the obstacle is a little bit higher. On the other hand, embedding financial product, I mean, we spoke about that, a lot of benefits as well of higher stickiness, uh, better product experience, um, and likely also higher chance to, to earn money um, through, through different things. So, um, but I'm guessing like every company that um, that wants to that wants to start the journey with financial services has to make like a conscious decision what way might be the right one in, in the first step and in what what direction it can can continue. Absolutely, I think this um, compliance and regulatory element is super important. Um, especially that's that's I think the part where most non-financial brands have the first like encounter with um, like one of the bottlenecks that might come into play if you want to embed banking. Uh, for example, mm -hmm. uh, let's say you're a bookkeeping provider and you want to offer cards. Maybe there's a lot of you know um, revenue or basically um, invoices that are managed over your uh, accounting platform, whatever it is. Um, I think yeah. that, um, yeah, that could be one, one of the use cases. And the first thing you know or you, you get to hear is, okay, um, you want to offer cards. So do you want to be the license holder? Do you want to be like the the, the card issuing uh, license holder? Who's your bin sponsor? Uh, uh, stuff like that. Um, and then you're suddenly out there, and you and if you don't know about these things, you you have no clue where to start and which provider might help you there. So I think what you're doing in your case is an extremely critical or an, a critical success factor that you basically have these banking license holders in the back, and your customer doesn't necessarily need to find them themselves or think about should I get the license myself, which would again be higher sure. costs and higher complexity um, than what you just told about the KYC, KYB, AML reporting stuff. Is that something that you also already have covered in your, in your case? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, yes, we do. Um, the reason again here, we focus, uh, we have built our product, designed our product for companies who are not coming from the financial service industry. So obviously we want to yeah. provide them everything they need. And uh, even if there are things they maybe have to do on the side, we, we help them, we have a guide for that, what they have to do and have to fulfill to actually exactly like get them, get them going very quickly. But overall, I mean, commenting mm -hmm. on that is like, I mean, let, let's be honest, I mean, banking is hard. I mean, right, I mean, it's not like, uh, it's not like you can, we can make it uh, as, uh, as, I mean, we try to make it as simple as possible, obviously, but it's still a complex, complicated journey and obviously, and there are a lot of companies out there that offer very different things. Um, very often you have to speak to all of them to understand what they're doing. And then it's really hard also to get all the information from every provider and how to put the bits and pieces together. And again, I mentioned I freelance before, not just with Rematch, also with other startups. And some of them had very, very little experience. And then you, you mentioned bin sponsor, program manager, uh, and maybe yep. like 12 other terms. And you're completely lost and you have to talk to all these providers to understand that. So this is definitely a, a complicated journey. And what I would say is, the most important piece here is specifically when you are not from the industry, 
don't try to build something which requires maybe uh, six to 12 months and high setup and high monthly fee to kind of test something. I mean, you yeah. probably don't know for sure yet as well how your customers want to use it, what direction want to do it. So rather build a first version. Don't try to build version number five, which scales to, to the moon and, uh, and brings you a crazy exit. Rather build something which gets you to the next step. And this is speed, as all of us know, is super, super crucial. So. Again, not just talking yeah. about Uber in general. When when you when you're building these products, this is something you you should have in mind. Absolutely. Is there other like specific questions that always come up? Uh, I think, if, for example, if someone might decide they want to go with Visa or they want to go with Mastercard and have meetings with them, um, and often don't really understand what, what what's happening in those meetings. <laughs> so I think there's a lot of I think really critical factors again, like that you really onboard customers and edu. I think there's a huge part in education as well that you really. For sure. Sometimes need to take them by the on the, like by the hand and really help them to get to 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 the launch. Basically, are there like specific uh, questions that always come up, or is it always depending on the specific client and use case? I mean, the question from from the from the customer. I mean, yeah, can be can be quite broad. I would say one topic, which something again, this depends how how much how much down you're the rabbit hole of financial services you are. But one, one example is maybe good to highlight is the whole topic around PCI compliance. I mean, specifically talking about card programs, um, there is this, this concept of uh, PCI, um, which we have to fulfill when you want to handle this kind of data. And obviously, when you want to offer cards, there's something you have to think about it. Um, obviously, you can go with solutions where you put all the burden on yourself, uh, which then is not impossible, but uh, you probably have to go through that if you're a company of a certain size already that probably implement all the processes and requirements probably takes you another I don't know, six to 12 months or even longer um, just to just to figure that piece out, which just again is another yeah. another obstacle, another hurdle you have to you have to you have to you have to come over. So obviously, when you don't have any experience and you don't know about this and you start to go talk to companies about their services and they might not be super upfront and tell you this is something you should be aware of and you should think about but they might, might rather focus on like selling you a specific product so there's like education is, is really really important and yeah again it's hard for companies to to find the right uh, to find the right setup uh, we believe completely that we as a company will win or can win only when, when the whole market is educated. So we are trying to be like very, very direct and upfront to see what we can offer, um, what the customer needs and try to find a, find a sweet spot. But again, also our services are not always the right solution for, for customers. We have also spoken to customers with very specific requirements, very specific things where we, where we have to honestly say like, um, maybe it's uh, maybe another provider makes more sense for you. Mm -hmm. uh, I actually have, one question that might be interesting for the listeners, um, like obviously it's not charity for Weaver either. Like, what's the what's the business case for embedded finance providers? Like, how do you how do you make your living then? Yeah, I mean, at the end of it, um, I think for if you I mean not just looking at Weaver, if you look at any kind of provider, um, there's usually two different, or like a couple of different costs involved, and there's usually a setup cost. Um, which uh, which has to be paid at the beginning, and then there is a monthly ongoing cost. The monthly ongoing cost is usually partly fixed, kind of a subscription price, subscription model, and the other price is based on um, on certain specific usage that could be bank account numbers, transfers, card card numbers, card usage. That can get really really complicated again. And um, I think we, I mean, obviously we tried as well to make it as simple as possible, but again, banking can be complicated and can be complex. Um, I think what the one thing what I learned now in my few months already at Weaver is that 
when you as a company who want to embed financial services and build something don't try to or don't get blinded by a specific number one specific number that looks like very very attractive uh, so for example when talking about weaver i could immediately tell you our setup fee is just like 500 pounds compared to maybe 50 or 100k for other providers which sounds super attractive but then you, again you have to look the whole the whole project so Ideally, what we do is uh, we have a spreadsheet where we calculate the whole program together with the customer and look at the different different metrics. And obviously, there are other companies as well who make even an even easier pricing, but easier doesn't always mean better. So I think for a company, it's really really important to uh, to plan ahead what the what the what the program could look like, especially when we're talking to companies who have customers already. They can maybe assume how many of them will use certain products. You can also build different models. It doesn't only have to be one. You can maybe build two, three, four different models, and then see what the what the pricing outcome is. And I think one thing that I also learned and should, should highlight is, again, don't try always to calculate and plan for the the part where your company goes to a 5 billion exit and, and everything is completely crazy. Also think about the option when the program doesn't go as well as you planned, and then maybe a high setup or high monthly fee can really, can really be a big problem for your company, especially then when you have to depend on external investors to to fund the further development so that's an important piece and uh, yeah i mean i mentioned we have we have developed a uh, financial plan for that so uh, i would highly recommend everybody who wants to build on that let's do it if you don't have a financial model you can also reach out to us we're happy to share our model um, which is not just designed for us but for any provider you can just plug in the numbers and see what the what the cost and revenue could be for you that's that sounds really good really good uh the, and actually follow up like to the other side kind of the the table what what is the key benefit for a bank who then uh, partners with you like who kind of offers them something through you like what do you see what do they gain as the best additional, additional revenue obviously so and then i mean at the end of it the when we at the moment we have uh, i mean at the moment we are we have mostly one financial service provider who we are using in our platform we are at the moment integrating a second one i think overall in the future we'll probably integrate a, a lot more um, when integrating a new uh, financial service provider there are probably mostly always like two factors involved there either they provide us a new feature a new functionality that we want to make and want to make available to our customers or secondly a customer wants to work with a very very specific bank and and get them through our platform so there might be the scenario where a very very big company uh, wants to use us, but they look at our at our pricing and our table and see like, hey, I can get a better deal if I work with my house bank, which I'm doing a lot of business already. They're willing to provide me an even better deal. This would be a scenario we call this uh, Weaver Matter on our homepage, um, where we can integrate their their bank into our offering, um, and then they pay us basically only for the tech part, um, and the and the bank gets the the revenue share for for let's say for the compliance and regulatory. Okay, that's that's really interesting. Thanks. How do you uh, do? Are there any specific trends already that you see how your customers are monetizing integrated banking features? I think you mentioned uh, your key customers are still coming from the fintech uh, fintech industry or banking industry. Um, I think mostly if if you add banking features, whether you're, for example, a bookkeeping tool or some other software. Mm -hmm. There, there are basically two, two big um, ways to do that. The first one would be extra fees. So you have integrated accounts that costs 
a certain amount of money per month extra or uh, certain transaction costs if you provide transactions or another part with the cards would be obviously interchange um, depending yeah. on your provider it depends how much revenue they share with you um, on the interchange um, is there a certain trend how to monetize those fintech features or is it still a little bit in exploration mode um, again it depends really on the depends probably on the on the use case or um, the customer um, I mean, you described it very well. At the end of it, you can charge a customer or maybe you get fees from somebody else, uh, which would be the interchange, which we are, for example, sharing with our customers, which is, of course, very, very attractive for them. Um, I think the, 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 the first part where you charge your customer, I think here it's really, really crucial to don't try to maybe just like present your product as another bank account, right? I mean, we have already a lot of bank rates specifically here in Germany. If you now just add another bank account or like promote it as just another bank account, basically, I mean, nobody would do it, but if it's, if it's in the eye of the customer, just another bank account, then probably it's hard to monetize for it. But if you yeah. provide it as, a, as an embedded feature product of your core offering and you don't say like, I charge you two euros for this card because then I can just compare it to other cards and maybe take another card, which might be cheaper, but just see it more rather. This is a, this is a silver package of 4.99 per month and it offers you this 10 different benefits and features. And then not just the bank account, but the bank account of like one of them and other things come around that. Um, this is the point where you as a, as a company can really differentiate yourself and make it harder or more complicated to compare your product with, with competitors. And that's where you can probably charge a premium and, and, and make money for that. Um, but yeah, I think this, again, this really depends on the, um, on the, on the, on the customer. Another example is as well, um, there are companies that maybe don't even want to charge for the product. Um, obviously they have to pay providers like us. Um, but they don't want to charge their customers. And the reason here is then that um, they they are planning or expecting that the customer will use a lot more of the core product and potentially um, potentially make more um, make more money there. One example, for example, here in, in Germany is a, is a startup called Vantic, which is in the, in the pension scheme. Um, as far as I know, they're also planning to launch a card. And here also the whole story is about, okay, if you're able to get this, I mean, a, a card, a debit card specifically in the consumer context is very often like top of wallet means like top of mind. That means like I have a lot more interactivity with the brand. Crypto cards are also a good example. People are probably not very happy to spend crypto, but just like the connectivity of the brand makes it, uh, it makes it more, more, more up on, on top of your mind. And the next time you want to buy yeah. crypto or maybe you want to do something about your pension, you're more likely to use that provider because you have already some, some interaction. With that. So those providers might not charge on top of it, but again, it really depends on in, in what product you're offering and what other options you have and also in what competitive landscape you are and what, what your competitors are offering. That's a, yeah, that's actually a really interesting angle now what you brought up kind of also financial companies like insurance companies who are often forgotten or like until something bad happens <laughs> they could use embedded finance <laughs> as a way to kind of bring themselves closer to the customer by offering a free free card or free account. Yeah, that's really, really good thinking. Yeah, I think that's also important to keep in mind that they're also indirect indirect monetization opportunities like interchange your customers pay with the card you might get a revenue share or you drive up you know the um the the product usage like with mantic in your example like that's that's um i think that's interesting and of course virtual cards i think there are still an, an really not highly explored territory i think there's so many different really innovative use cases for virtual cards um you already mentioned for example delivery 
companies um, or or um, uh, benefits for employees, you know, um, that mm -hmm. employers can provide. So I think that's um, that's uh, that's also very interesting. That um, pro opens up new product innovation opportunities. So um, I, what I would one, uh, one of my, yeah, yeah. sorry, just like one one of my favorite examples around that as well is one of the favorite examples is one password. Uh, in uh, in the US, I mean, one password probably yeah. know it as the password storage provider. Um, in the past, you could also already store your existing cards in there. So whenever you have to fill out a form online, you can just click on the N26 card and it prefills it. Um, now, since last year, they're offering specifically in the US also functionality where you can create a new virtual card when you sign up for a new service. So let's say you want to test Netflix, they ask you to put a debit card or credit card details while signing up, even though it's free, um, you still have to put card details in there. So obviously you can put yeah. your existing card or you just create a new Netflix card just for that very specific uh, subscription and store it in, in one password. And then even an even nicer feature is you decide not to use Netflix. Yes, you can log into Netflix and cancel your subscription um, or you just uh, go and delete the card and then the subscription is uh, also more or less canceled because the next payment will, will bounce and the subscription will, will cancel. So I think as you mentioned, virtual card, this is a huge, huge area as well to um, to provide certain benefits for customers um, in, in that area. Yeah, that's amazing. A really good, good a really good example. I think um, what I would also like quickly touch on, um, if you if you can do that, um, would be your, um, how the customer onboarding exactly works, so that especially the listeners that are not coming from the fintech or banking industry get like a, a high level overview of how. What, what they would expect, for example, um, what questions they maybe should bring or what specific information they should already know beforehand when they contact embedded banking providers. Um, let's say, I think one of the easiest examples is always a software company that's not in financial services, whether it's bookkeeping, ERP, an e-commerce mm -hmm. system, whatever it is. Uh, if they approach an embedded finance provider how would how like how like um, yeah how does the onboarding work? Can you maybe also give some timeline examples? What how much it should how much time they should take into account before something can go live, um, sure. and maybe rough. If, I don't know if that's possible. Obviously, that really depends on the use case. But if the, if there are any like rough estimations on how much budget you need to have in your own pocket in order to start integrating, let's say, cards or accounts. Sure. I mean, there's always uh, this this lovely question when you're on the on the B2B side provider. Uh, previously, when I was in open banking, now in embedded banking. So, how long does it take for you me to to go live yeah. with your service? So, yeah, well, that that really really depends. Um, I think overall, I mean, I'm mean, starting at the first point. Like, what what does a customer? What what should they they have when they contact a company like like ours for the discussions? Um, I think, I mean, we have we have very, very, very broad mix, right? Some know a lot of stuff already because they've talked to a lot. They know the market. They come very, very prepared. Others don't have anything or don't much. I think the most important piece, what you might want to have, but maybe for the initial question, don't need so much as well, is, okay, what, what do you really want to offer? And like, what problem do you want to solve, solve for the customers? And what, is, what, are, what are the, uh, the framework that, that, you are, that you're working in? So some of the things that we will try to figure out with the customer in the first discussion is something that's called the payment flows. So obviously we're talking about money, obviously we're talking about cards and accounts and specifically talking to bookkeeping solutions that's here corporate money, but who is using the money? Is it the employee using the money? Um, can the employee add maybe money to the accounts and do it for personal spendings or for a certain kind of tax benefit spending? So these are basically like all the things that we have to, we have to figure out. Ideally, 
um, the customer knows already in what direction they want to go. And I mean, they don't have to know what kind of financial products they want to offer, but maybe what pain points they're having and how they want to how they want to solve it. And then usually in discussions, we can um, we can find the right right solution for that. Um, I think again for us, obviously, is a, a big selling point as well is the uh, is a open sandbox that we're having. Um, that you can just register for an account and kind of play around to see our full API. So typically, typically user journey for us as well. Um, we might have a discussion with our with a customer first to talk about their project. Um, we might not have that. They might just register on our platform and get familiar with our API. And either way, we probably at one point we have a discussion to talk about some open questions and uh, and, and challenges and, and problems. Um, when basically the technical evaluation from their side is done, which they can do through our platform and also talk to our tech team, obviously, um, and also the business yep. side is done. And we sign a contract. Um, they can build their whole product on our platform and our sandbox. Um, everything they can build there. Um, once the contract is signed, we have received approval from the relevant financial partners that we are using for that for that program. Um, we can push that customer on the live and the production environment, and then they can start offering their products to their to their customers. Um, how long does it usually take? Yeah, this question uh, again. It depends a little bit what you want to do. Uh, probably, if you want to do the full fledged offering, including plastic cards, including um, including the accounts, yeah. transfers, all these kind of things. Um, it probably takes uh, uh, takes uh, maybe a month, two months, something like this. You probably have to plan that. Um, also, of course, you probably want to offer a product uh, uh, which is well designed and well thought through. If you have already invested before a lot of time, you might be able to go a little bit faster. But uh, something uh, a month, six to eight weeks is probably realistic. Specifically, plastic cards also always have to go through the approval process of the design, which takes some time as well from the relevant stakeholders. That's something you should should keep in mind. From a yeah. from a financial perspective, um, again, like if you're, if you're looking at providers like us, it's uh, it can be as low as like 500 pounds setup fee and a thousand pound monthly fixed fee, um, and everything on top is basically usage. Um, the usage probably you have planned into your pricing, or can um, or can use the interchange kickback that you're getting um, to pay off for that. So from a financial perspective. Um, it probably depends a lot on what products you want to build and how many people you maybe you have to engage for that and build, uh, maybe you have to hire to actually build the product. Um, but yeah, overall, of course, you should be, um, you should not plan the product in a way of like, I just build it, build it finish it, ship it out, and everybody loves it and uh, I make a lot of money. Yeah. And obviously, it's uh, it's not just the pro not, not not just the time frame of like building the product with us uh, on top of us, but rather launch and bring it to a success, which can be realistically uh, can take a few more months to to find out how the customer want, wants to use it and and benefit of it. Yeah, that's great. That's a really, I think, a really great um, explanation of how it, how it works and what what uh, those providers should take into account when they approach providers like you. And I think what you mentioned about the pain points of clients um, that they want to solve, that they should have a at least an idea about it. I think that's also a key part of it, since um, as you mentioned already, it's not just about adding another account um, into the game. So it's more really about thinking about the the customer journeys, the, the specific pain points, how customers maybe have business model, or like you know business problems in terms of they need new revenue streams or they want to build their own business model and have fintech as an as a value driver in there, um, or they know that customers have specific customer journey pain points when they need to switch from a bookkeeping application to a banking application or whatever it is. So I think there might there might be a lot of um, insights that can be uh, uncovered in the market, um, especially for software providers. Um, and doing that 
is I think a really good um, good first start so that you know what exact pain point you're solving and not just throwing a card at them and um, you know charging for it. So I think that's especially the connection between those banking products, um, virtual cards, virtual IBANs, or directly integrated accounts um, or plastic cards. I think it really depends on the use case, but I think um, starting with the customer needs and pain points is, um, is always like a really good first step. And the business model, like the cost, cost mm-hmm. and revenue drivers, I think they can always be worked out depending on the use case. So um, yeah, that's, that's uh, what I'm really passionate about. Well, I would see, or well, I hope to see in the future, more and more SaaS companies actually moving into into this new era of software, where you have really embedded finance, um, not just as a like fancy UX play, but really as something that that is useful for that, that really solves customer problems that the banks have not solved before, but that maybe non-banks can solve much better um, because they're faster, more agile, more customer-centric, and so on. So I think that's that's really exciting. So it will be, will be um, very interesting to see how this market develops. Um, and I'm really happy that we have actually a lot of providers in Europe here as well. So it's not just the US or, I mean, China is a completely different topic again, but um, mm. that will be very, very exciting to see how, how it plays out in Europe um, as an embedded finance market. That, that's that's true. I think the 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 challenge that fintech startups, banking companies in the past always had was when it was when it was about expansion and globalization. Now we're talking to companies that operate already on a global level. They're offering the service already in very very different areas. So obviously, when building embedded banking products, that's something they should also be looking at that the that the right countries might might be covered. I mean, in today's world, there's there's still I mean the providers. We were still focusing exclusively on Europe at the moment. Um, obviously, with our yeah. setup, we can integrate all the financial service providers from other countries and make it available in other, in other areas, but um, not today, maybe later. Um, obviously, other companies um, have similar, similar, say similar focuses on certain areas, uh, but guessing as well, this will change and make it easier as well to, to launch this product um, across across the globe, at least in the in the core in the core countries. Yeah, that's great. Miko, how do you see like the market playing out in the future? I think um, there's so many opportunities, especially benefits um, for embedded banking. Um, how, how do you see it? Uh, yeah, actually, I, I would have just asked from last that way. How do you like, how do you see the like who is going to have the ownership? Who's going to be the winner in this game? Kind of if if the starting point used to be that you had a service provider you know, and, and financial service provider was the place where you went, it, especially mm. back in the days when it was a physical location, you had to go there. And then we kind of moved from there to that, okay, we can, the, the service providers are connected. And now if the next phase is this embedded finance way, where the financial, financial service provider is not necessarily the brand you see, um, kind of out of your sleeve, <laughs> uh, what, what do you think? who is going to be the winner? Like who is going to own the customer? Is it going to be a certain kind of service provider or is it going to be social media interface or or is there going to be something else coming up? Is it going to be maybe Google or so? Like what's kind of your gut feeling? I, I know this, <laughs> it's only guesses or it's guesstimates, but yeah. uh, what do you say? Um. Yeah, of course, obviously, it's uh, it's a question where I can I can I can only answer incorrectly because uh, who who knows in what direction it's going. Um, 
I don't know. I believe, I mean, overall, as you, as you said, I mean, there's also this, again, this uh, this very famous quote of, of Bill Gates or whoever said it, we need banking, not banks. So obviously in the past, specifically around like banking products, you kind of need something for banking. You know where you went. You went to your uh, you went to your bank clerk in your local branch and he or she was able to to figure out what, what you needed and, and helped you with that. Um, I actually started my career working in a traditional bank and um, I can tell you as well, like if you talk to a bank clerk who's maybe covering a portfolio of uh, 25 different products and has to be kind of the more or less like expert in all of them. And, and of course, they have a back office, but um, still very often the things happen um, during the appointment with the client and have to figure out the things. This is maybe also not, not, the, not the ideal case. So obviously, companies who have this focus on specific customer segments, I think a trend we are seeing at the moment is everything around vertical banks, uh, community banks, where banks really focus on one specific subset of group of people, would it be like farmers or doctors or uh, not even maybe groups, maybe like uh, certain certain other um, areas or uh, groups of people. Um, so I think it's we're going to see a lot more fragmentation in the market from different from different sides, from different players. Um, maybe to comment on the one question, is it going to be like a Google or um, other tech company? Obviously, those companies have a, have a big reach and a big, big opportunity there as well. I would see as well, again, I don't know the answer, but I do see as well a growing concern around privacy and, and, and data usage. So I wouldn't be surprised if these companies maybe don't have it as easy as we, as we think um, to offer a certain kind of products. But there might be other companies who maybe even make privacy um, and data usage uh, a core feature of the product offering, um, which might, uh, might get uh, more popularity. But overall, I would say, I mean, Who's going to win? Stupid. I mean, stupid answer again. It's the ones who can focus on the customer. No, I mean those, those companies. I mean, they hopefully use Weaver, but those companies who uh, who, who will win the, the market and uh, offer the right products are those who really are really customer centric and and figure out what the customers want and in, in, in what context, and hopefully they choose the right provider for that. Uh, yeah, I, that's a that's a really good really good kind of summary and uh, i actually wrote down what you said earlier that the don't send to your well, don't send your customer to bank bring bank to your customer i think that's that's kind of a good guideline for all of the service providers yeah <laughs> absolutely our, our, yeah. Our, our ceo alex quoted that so i have to uh attribute to him if you saw yeah yeah um I, yeah and i see it actually the same way so if you see the the search in usage of signal and telegram i think is like privacy is definitely uh, something that is in on top of mind of of users so um and maybe you don't want to have your banking banking activities in like handled by a company that has advertising as the main revenue stream uh, so you already know where, where where it's going so i think that's um that's a really good point that um google facebook and so on might not be the winners in this in this field um so i really hope that yeah like the specialized providers like beaver would then be the go-to brands for the go-to providers for integrated banking and the what you also slightly mentioned is the, the traditional banks might also have really big legacy problems in really building up something like that um since it kind of cannibalizes their own business like um they they might they might probably found a new unit that is only about embedded banking but well i haven't seen that so far so um yeah the way i see it it's it's, it's as well that it will be like new, new the new wave of infrastructure players that um that will drive this forward so if anyone is interested to integrate banking features um how can they reach you a lot or where should they look at? Um, you already mentioned your sandbox and so on. 
Yeah, I mean, easy to just go on our website, weaver.io, uh, or just put my yeah. name into Twitter or LinkedIn and feel free to reach out to me. Um, as you said before, I've been working in open banking, work as a freelancer, work with a lot of different companies that want to kind of embark on the journey of like build financial products. So um, not in all cases, Weaver is the right provider, but always happy to guide and uh, uh, provide a helping hand to to go through this jungle of uh, of providers in the, in the, in the space. Absolutely. And also from our side, of course, uh, we're also helping software companies as well as banks to figure out like where to play and how to win in the embedded banking market. So um, feel free to reach out to us on rossopublic.com. Um, so great. Uh, I think that was a really interesting episode. Um, it's a really passionate topic, uh, at least of mine. So um, uh, yeah, I would be very interested maybe to get listeners feedback um, and to see where it's going. And maybe in the future, we could also have specialized episodes on, let's say, a very specific topic like virtual cars, for example. Happy, happy to do that. And yeah, thanks, thanks for having me. Indeed, yeah. very, very interesting topic, and uh, always, uh, always happy to engage with people like you. Perfect. Thanks, thanks, Lars. Thanks. All right, then. Uh, see you soon.